Hello and welcome to Story of the Book, where middle grade YA and picture book authors tell the stories of their books from beginning to end. I'm Hayley Chewins, I write books about magical girls with secrets. And I'm Lindsay Eager, I write books about growing up in this weird, wondrous world. And we're so very happy to have you here. Let's get started. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for coming to Story of the Book to chat to us about the land of yesterday. We're so, so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, we're just going to dive straight in. So um, I know it's been a while since this book was published in 2018, but I was wondering if you could give us a little simple kind of pitch or idea uh, of what the book is about, just so that people know who are listening. So The Land of Yesterday is a book um, I wrote about grief, about um, a girl named Cecilia who uh, loses her little brother who passes away and her mother goes to the land of yesterday where all souls go when they when they die um, to kind of find him and Cecilia gets, she, she goes on a very long brave journey to get her mother back but it's kind of about reclaiming your bravery and self after losing someone you love Mm. oh that's a great pitch (laughs) that was so perfect (laughs) so so perfect I'll add um too that a lot of reviewers and a lot of people who are speaking about it compared it to things like Alice in Wonderland or maybe Coraline um yeah Hell's Moving Castle. Yep. Nightmare Before Christmas. I saw that uh, comparison Ooh, quite that's a lot. A good oh, I love one. that. Yeah, which is really great. So um yeah, I love yeah. I just always love to like give the rundown of like the flavors that maybe are in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. It has a very definite tone for sure. Tell us the story of how you came up with this idea for this book. Like where does this book begin for you? as a writer. Oh boy. That was, um, that the land of yesterday came to me after a three week dark night of the soul that I was having. Cause I thought pretty much my writing career was over. Cause I had, uh, queried four books already. And, um, I'd been waiting on the fourth book that I wrote. I'd been waiting on one last hope, which was an R and R that, um, I was hoping they'd say yes to, but they didn't. And after so long, I worked on that book so hard. (laughs) It was in, you know, pitch wars. And the one before that was in pitch wars. And I both got, I got mentors for both and I worked really hard, but they just never worked out. And so I was really questioning whether that I should just continue because, you know, it had been almost five years. I have five kids and it takes a toll writing these books and taking time away from your family, you know, to do this, to make this dream work. And um, so, yeah, I was in my bedroom. I had just gotten the r and and I, I, um, I just, I basically cried for three weeks and walked around in a big depressive dark cloud. And then I just kind of broke down on that last day and I put my head to my floor. I'll never forget. I put my head on my wood floor, just sobbing my little heart out. And, um, and I, and my eyes were closed. And as I was doing this, all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, this vision of a girl, like a young girl with long blue hair came to me and she just kind of jumped into my mind. And 
I saw her so clearly and her, her hair was you know, down to her knees and she was crying so hard and all her tears were flowing out all through her bedroom. And as they were flowing out through her bedroom, her tears were turning everything to paper and including herself. And I was just like, whoa. <laughs> and I just remember like, I got up and I like wiped my face and I went right to my laptop and started writing. And I just wrote down, mm-hmm. I still have it somewhere, like this little one page quick blurb about what I, you know, and then I started writing her. And in three weeks, the same amount of period that I had been, you know, so devastated about my career being over, I wrote the first draft of the land of yesterday and I, it just poured out of me. <laughs> and so it was wow. great. I mean, that's, and so that's how that was born. I mean, it was obviously very different, the first draft from the last one, but it was her and I'm just, I'm so great. It was just so cool the way she just popped into my head like that. So yeah, she saved me in a lot of ways. Huh. Wow. That that's is so magical. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's so fascinating because obviously this is a book about grief and, you know, it's about in part the grief that you experience as a child losing your mom, but yeah. also the grief. It just strikes me that it's really born out of this moment of grieving these stories that you had to let go of because yeah I mean every writer in the world will understand that like the feeling of maybe people who don't write books won't understand but people who write books know that when you have to give up on a project or someone rejects something that you worked so hard on or it feels like everyone rejects it like 20 people reject it yeah it is like a loss or like a grief it just and you do have to mourn it and it hurts. It really, really, really hurts. And I just, I think that's so interesting that Cecilia kind of came to you in, in that moment. Yeah. I just, yeah. and it really, I mean, that was my one, like that was, I mean, I don't know. It was, I kind of felt like that was my one, like I'm going to do this one more time and I'm going to see what mm. happens. But, you know, even if that was rejected, I probably would still be writing books because, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what you do. Yeah. yeah. That, that is uh, the yeah, lie. Was... The lie we have to tell ourselves. All right. This is the last time. Yeah. Yes. One last shot. But yeah, it was, yeah. um, a lot of my grief came out in that book and mm-hmm. we kind of, I feel like we kind of saved each other. Like, I mean, you well, know, our characters feel real and mm-hmm. she came to me in a very real way. Like, you know, I'm hurting too. Can you help me? And yeah, that's kind of how it felt. Yeah. That's so fascinating. And did you, when you wrote that first draft, um, did you know that it was going to be so much about losing your mom? Was that kind of apparent from the very beginning or? No, it wasn't actually. I, well, it's funny. I'm different now. Um, but for the first several books I wrote, I was straight pantsing. So really Mm -hmm. I just, you know, it all just comes out, um, Mm -hmm. by the magical little fairies who whisper in my ear, but, um, (laughs) yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea what it would be about, but, um, but very much of my past came out in that book, which is, you know, it was all that stuff had been kind of holed up in me for so long. 
And it just all poured. It was very therapeutic and healing actually for me to get some of that stuff out. And it's again, writing, it's amazing what comes out. Um, Things I hadn't thought about, like the letter. um, Yeah. The letter that Cecilia writes to her mother to say, you know, um, why did you leave me? And are you ever coming back was, you know, I wrote that letter to my mother after she died when I was seven. And I didn't even, I hadn't thought about that forever until it popped out onto the page. And I was like, okay, I see where this is going. (laughs) Yeah. That's so magical and interesting. And is it because I've seen, or I've seen you tweet before about how drafting is like dreaming for you. Like you have to, in order to write, you have to put your mind in that same space that you would be when you're dreaming where like Mm -hmm. anything is possible and yeah, kind of just intuitively letting things kind of just pop up on the page and happen. Do you still write like that, even though you're not as much of a pantser? I do. Um, What I've learned, and I think it's really important, maybe not for everyone, because I know some people really need that structured outline. But for me, I think the real magic happens when I take my critical thinking cap off and just let my imagination run wild. Even if Mm -hmm. a lot of it doesn't stay, probably 50% of it will get thrown away. But that's, you know, I think you write, I know I've, you say the same thing. It's kind of like, it's an exploratory mission in a dream. And I don't know, I think that that's where the, all my real magic comes is stuff that I haven't thought about yet. It just kind of comes out. And I love that because it's really hard because going, and I have to stop myself a lot while I'm drafting because I'll want to go back and change something, but then Mm -hmm. I'm putting my critical thinking, my editing brain hat back on and and that doesn't work because when I put too much of that into it, it messes the whole story up. And then I have to keep going back and changing more things. I find if I just let it all flow out just till the end, and then I can go back and edit, but it's, I love the magic that comes out when I just let my imagination run. Mm, Yeah. Same here. And I, I do, I write the same way. And I always find that if I try to brainstorm or like come up with cool ideas before I start, not only do I get a bit bored if I do that, but I just don't get really interesting ideas. Like everything I try, when I'm trying to think of cool yeah. stuff, it just, like you think of, I don't know, just obvious stuff or cliched stuff. But when you're just letting your mind free associate and things just, I agree. I love that magic of things just happening on the page. Like you write yeah. a word and you're like, oh, that. So yeah, yeah, and, and I some don't... words I'm like, I don't even know what that word means. I've got to go look that word up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, same here. Yeah, I have the yeah. exact same thing. Or like, even if you, if it's like a completely invented word or, or or a phrase, like I'm thinking about all the amazing little phrases and names that you have in the land of yesterday, like a word fartipotamus syndrome yeah. <laughs> and the gnomes of the stratosphere and yeah. the planet of nightmares and the catawall you know, and like, it's, it's just, I have often had experiences where I write something like that, like something that I know I've invented and I'm like, oh, but I don't know what that's like or where it is or yeah. how she's going to get there or how that relates to the story, but I like it. So I'm going to keep it in. Yeah. And then I find, I can often find connections between things or the connections are actually already kind of there if I just look for them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's yeah it's so interesting to me how your unconscious mind is so much more clever than your conscious mind that wants to control everything and structure everything and set everything out in a list yeah um but how can come in later yeah 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 but how do you deal with so when you're drafting I guess we've kind of moved on to like how you drafted this book how many drafts do you think you wrote of the land of yesterday until you had something that resembles the book I've thought about this before, and although I couldn't exactly remember, I believe it's about eight. I think there were about eight drafts, like full drafts. Full um, drafts, yeah. From first to last. Yeah. But yeah, that's, um, I mean, it's gotten a bit less over the years, but I mean, I, for, uh, when I, when I got my agent, um, she had me do two R&Rs first. So that counted in two of the drafts too. Oh, wow. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. I definitely want to talk to you about that a little bit later when we talk about the publishing part of things and how the book became like a real book with a beautiful cover and beautiful deckled pages and everything. Um, But uh, just about drafting, I wanted to know, because I know that you've spoken quite openly about having anxiety, Mm. um, which is something I have too. And I was just wondering in terms of Because I think sometimes that like very pantsy kind of, well, let's just see what happens as we write Mm -hmm. the book. That kind of process can be, um, I guess, in a way, uh, it can be anxiety inducing. It can make you feel anxious because you don't know what the next step is or what's going to happen in the middle of the book or at the end. So do you have any ways that you deal with anxiety while you're drafting and kind of letting yourself lose control in a way of the story? I think I just have to keep, keep my thinking brain in check. I have to mm. keep sort of, cause my brain will kind of keep putting, trying to put stoppers on or stop signs in front of me. And I have to keep knocking them down and just go. I have to really give myself permission to dream on paper. And mm. it's hard because, you know, I don't know where this is going. Is this the right? My biggest one is, is this the right choice to make? Like if I'll be, I'll write something and then I'll go, oh, that seems like it's right out of left field. I, should I mm. keep going in this direction or I could go this direction? And that's where I get stuck mm. is I could do this or that. Which one do I do? I think mm. I just have to do a gut check. Like which one, sometimes I'll follow it a little deeper. Like if I do this choice, then what do I think could happen? Are there more options to go this way? Are there more options to go that way? It's really, it's kind of an in the moment decision, but I think if also the choice making, if I just stop myself and just kind of like take a breath and just keep writing, if I just let that come through, it's usually the right choice. Even, even if it changes later, that point won't even matter. It just, it has to get you to the next point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard to explain, but it's, um, I think no matter which choice you make, it would get you to the right, the place you were supposed to be, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I love that because that's such a, isn't that such a beautiful metaphor for life too, that sometimes we worry about, you know, am I making the right choice? And yeah. Um, but yeah, you, your choices have led you here. So you're, and you're in the right place now. So yes, all your choices right. have been yes. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
And you're right that you, I mean, I do the same thing where I will throw out a lot of words, but I also feel like I wouldn't have. So in a way you could say, well, it's a bit of a waste because I wrote 50,000 words that I didn't end up using. But at the same time, those 50,000 words, if I hadn't written them, I wouldn't have gotten to the words that I have now. Exactly. Yes. Yes. You need like the wrong words to get you to the right words. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It is weird. (laughs) But the whole (laughs) process is weird and magical, I find. Yes. Just another, you know, another part of the weirdness. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So do you have like a set way of drafting or like a place where you have to sit or do you like have to have snacks or coffee or how do you get yourself set up and settled into that mindset of like dreaming on paper? Um, oh gosh, I've lived in so many different places <laughs> since I started doing this. Um, I've gotten pretty good at just being any place and writing as long as I have my laptop, my headphones, um, playing whatever kind of music goes along with the book is really important to getting me in the mindset of mm. this particular story. Um, glass of water or coffee. And that's pretty much it. That's Hmm. all I need. I could be anywhere. I could be outside or inside or in this house or that house as you know, that's the great thing about writing too, is, you know, it's all in here. We can just go anywhere. We can be anywhere and do our job. It's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) So when you were drafting the land of yesterday, what were your, were you like, what was your kind of life like? Was it, were you like sneaking little bits of writing here and there or? Oh yeah, definitely. That was when obviously my kids were younger. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was getting up at two in the morning every day um, to get three to four hours of writing time in before I'd have to get kids up and ready for school. And then I would get them to school and then I would go to work and then come home. I think I do home care um, or I did then uh, for the elderly. So I'd work for like four hours and then come home and do a couple more hours before I had to go pick them up from school. So I kind of had to sneak it wherever I could get it, but two in the morning, I did that for many years. That's Um, amazing. Two in the morning. (laughs) Well, you have to, right? I feel that's another thing. Like, you know, if you want your dream, you've, you're going to have to work for it and you're going to have to figure out when you can do it. Like there's always things that you can move around, I think. Well, maybe not always, but um, for me, I just, I had to get up early to do it because, you know, life, but I really want it. I've always felt this is, you know, once I started writing again, um, it was very important that I continue to do it. So it's, um, yeah. I took time when I could get it, but I could do it anywhere. Yeah. Hmm. That's cool. That's like a superpower. And there is something really special about being awake when everyone else is asleep and the house is oh, quiet. Yes. Yes. It's magic. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. And it's all dark and sitting there. And yeah, when it's dark like that, and I put on the candles and I light some incense too. And outside, I can hear the train going by and I can hear the owls and mm. I just, it's full magic. Perfect time That's to so draft cool. a book, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Especially a book like this, which is so strange and magical and otherworldly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I wanted to ask you a couple more things about drafting. One of them was, 
Um, so you said you did eight drafts of the land of mm-hmm. yesterday. Um, so what, what was the first draft? What did the first draft look like? Was that just, was it just kind of, did you have a rough shape already of the story or were you just still exploring who Cecilia was and who her family was and what her world was like? like give me an idea of like how, what was that first draft like? Um, it was kind of messy, obviously, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was, it was really different there. It was a lot more, um, rambling, I guess, like exploring mm-hmm. a lot of different avenues. I, um, I think Cecilia stopped at a lot more places out in the universe. So there's mm-hmm. some cool stuff in there actually, that would be interesting to go look at, but, um, yeah, more apply. I think it was about probably 78 or 80,000 words at that point, which is a oh, lot okay. more than it ended up being. Like double but, the length. <laughs> yeah. But it was, um, it was also important to, because I think we do in the first drafts, that is a lot of what it is, is exploring character, you know? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. just finding out who they are and what they have to say. And yeah, I, what was it like? I think her family, um, it was different. I forget. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, that, I know her family, was, her family ago. was different, but it's, gosh, it's been a long time since that first draft. And it's hard to remember exactly, but I think, I think I had her parents die because I'm always trying to have parents die. And the editors are always like, no, we can't have everybody's parents die. <laughs> yeah. But for me, you know, I, it's hard. Cause I did like, that's what I know. But yeah, they were like, let's, let's try to keep our parents around. I think I, I did that with the Spinner of Dreams too. And they were like, no, Kristen. Yeah. So and I love the parents. In to get them out dreams. of the way. It is. Yeah. But also having grown up without a mother and I never had a father. So I think it's really, you know, I don't know. It's easy for me to, to be, feel that way. Cause I kind of always felt like that way, I guess, but. Yeah, um, well, that makes sense. Yeah, but yeah, it was so very did you, different. Did you already have the idea of the plot, though, of the idea that she was going to go to yes. the land of yesterday? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it was just a lot more. Like there was a lot. I had to kind of condense the whole thing and get rid of some avenues, so it wasn't, you know, going, going on too long. But it was mm. pretty much, pretty much the same. Going on a journey the gnomes and, um, you know, meeting her weird, fantastical friends along the way. And yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about, have you ever heard, um, the phrase nighttime logic? Have you heard Kel- no. Kelly link is somebody who talks about it, um, who mentioned it in an interview once. And it's basically the idea that there's like daytime logic where, you know, you sort of stick to what reality is giving us the rules of reality and it makes sense, but, but dreamlike or nighttime logic is that sensation. Like when you're dreaming where if this was reality, it would be so weird that you come downstairs in the morning and a chicken is making you breakfast, but, but but it's, or whatever, but it's nighttime, it's nighttime logic. So it makes sense as you're in the dream. Yeah. Um, and I, I found the land of yesterday just absolutely 
brimming with this nighttime logic. I wanted to talk to you about this sort of nighttime logic specifically with language, the language that you use in the book, like the tone um, and the word choices that you make. Because it, it all provides this wonderful nighttime logic and world building. You are so great at using language as a world building tool. Haley, so are you. I can see how your guys, like both of your books are like sisters in this way. Yeah. (laughs) Use language in the same way. I love the idea of the like language as a world building tool. And I'd love to know what you think of that, Chris. Is that something that you think about when you're writing or? I absolutely don't. I, and that's the thing. I can't think about it. If I think about it, then it ruins the magic of the story for me. I really have to push my thinking brain off and, you know, say, you, you know, your job is coming, but you just need to chill for now and let the dream come out. Cause the dream is what I love. And it's, you know, that's the reason I love Murakami so much too, is because he yes, writes yes. like a dream and I, that's my absolute favorite thing in the whole world. And um, I, I, I don't know all the language and everything like that. It's in me but it's also not of me. I I feel like it comes, I don't know. I don't know if it's like from a higher self or from some kind of layer of magic just floating over the earth, but it all comes through in my writing. Like I, I can bumble around talking probably like I am right now, but it comes out much more eloquently on paper. Um, So yeah, I'm, my writing self is a lot different than my everyday goofball Kristen self so (laughs) I don't know (laughs) but yeah it's nighttime logic is absolutely my favorite um I love that too because it is and I maybe that's why I draft in the middle of the night and I edit in the day because it makes Mm. total sense because you have to bring that editor in to figure things out but you you know the books that I think I needed as a kid are the fantastical dream worlds because that was my escape from the hard stuff that I was going through. But it was Mm -hmm. also like, like I talk about like a hand in the dark, you know, to like, you know, come with me. I've been here before. Like, let's get through this together. And um, I don't know, that's, yeah, I like that nighttime logic because that's the funnest place for me to write from. And it just makes the most sense. And when you're a fantasy writer, what, I don't know. It's just, it's my favorite. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Well, I also have that thing of, um, I don't, I don't get up at 2 a.m. because I couldn't do that, but I sometimes get up at four or five. And I do sometimes feel like as the day goes on, that magic kind of wears off or gets thinner, that dreaminess. And so if I don't catch it in the morning, like by, by like 1030 in the morning, I've lost it. Like it's gone, you know, and I can try to draft in the afternoon, but it's not quite the same. I don't have the same feeling about it. Yeah. That's exactly how it is for me too. Yeah. There's something about the kind of absurdity of the things that happen in the land of yesterday 
that feels so, even though it's illogical, feels so true to the feeling of being in a state of grieving. Because when you're grieving, sometimes you feel like you are absurd, like the the process that you're going through just makes no logical sense. It shouldn't it shouldn't actually be happening. And the fact that the world is just going on in its ordinary way is kind of jarring and strange because you just feel so yeah. disconnected and dis, um, disjointed from everything. And yeah, yeah, is that, yeah, I just, I guess it's, it's more of a comment than a question. I'm sorry, but I, 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 yeah, I just think like the absurdity of it is so uh, profound in that way. I think it also helps people who are grieving um and really in the thick of it which is you know having just been through it again it's um it's very hard but for the world to keep on going mm-hmm. and you to be stuck frozen in this dark space where you're just numb you know and it's it's i think all the colors um all the colors and fantasy and things in I don't know. I see fantasy in like a lot of colors. Like it's a very colorful way to Mm. write and to read and a state to be in. It helps kind of, it's almost like repainting your world and like helping, helping you come back into the world in a safe sort of space and re-engage you because it's, you know, it's a very hard place to be in, especially if you're a kid and it can be really scary. So um, yeah, it's, not a lot of fun. And it helps to know you've got a book friend, at least someone who's been there, you know, to bring the color back into your world. One of the things I love in the land of yesterday is that idea that if you haven't lost someone, you don't understand. So um, Cecilia has these experiences where people are talking to her. Yeah. It sounds like they're farting with their mouth. Yes. (laughs) She, She just does not understand them. It's complete gibberish. Yeah. And, but she understands. So she can only talk to people who have also lost someone. And I thought that was so profound because when you're in that state of grief, it is as though you are, you're the people who understand really understand. And the people who don't understand, it is as if you are cut off from them in a really deep way. Yeah. 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 And that's exactly what it feels like too, because Mm -hmm. someone who's been through it before, they don't even need to say anything. They could just sit beside you and understand, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're ready to talk, you're there. And some people, um, people who don't understand will ask a lot of sometimes really inappropriate questions or try to say a lot of inappropriate things. And it's just like, no, (laughs) to stop talking to me, please. (laughs) So I think that's kind of how she felt. Like, I, I don't know what you're saying. And I, you know, I, I don't understand what you, what you want from me or what you're trying to say, but yeah, the people who get it, get it. And they're Mm. key to healing. I, I feel. Yeah. You literally made grief into a language that you can either understand or not, which is so exactly spot on. Those really, um, sort of strong metaphors that I put in there like that are, you know, mostly for the kids because I don't know, I feel like kids relate to that kind of thing more. Like if Mm -hmm. it's like, it's, uh, 
anything lighter maybe would be too faded to truly hit the heart. But I feel like that could could be understood. And I know from the kids who have read it, like they did get it and it felt mm. real to them, which was really, really important to me. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, not only are you writing with this nighttime logic, you're also writing from this like child logic that feels so authentic in a way that I think sometimes I read books, especially like middle grade books where I can tell the, the writer is trying really hard to like speak that language that kids speak but maybe they've forgotten just how kids think about the world and the whole like farting with their mouths is so kid logic because it's funny and gross and also incredibly (laughs) bewildering and isolating yeah um and it's just like and and it's such a universal experience when you're a kid to have especially like adults who are talking to you and you just are not even hearing yeah it's like a totally different language um so I just love that you lean into that kid logic in the land of yesterday in a way that's still accessible for adults I mean I absolutely thought about 10 year old me as I was reading your book and just thinking yeah 10 the 10 year old inside of me gets this I wanted to know what were you like as a kid I know that you lost your mother when you were young yeah. But were you, um, and you were reading a lot of books, mm-hmm. were you writing a lot? Were you talking about emotions this profoundly from such a young age since you had felt them? I didn't talk much. Um, <clears throat> I don't remember what I was like before, but just after, um, I was very, I, I was, I'm told that I was very outgoing. I was like different kind of person before my mother died and all that crazy stuff happened in my life. Um, I was a leader. I was outgoing and cheerful and stuff. But then once my mother died, it was like, well, there was a lot of other things that happened too at the time that were very traumatic and horrible. So I just kind of, I got very quiet. If I was talking to someone, I was writing them a note, like, with my grandmother who I lived with about a year after my mom died um so if if we ever if I ever was upset about something I'd write her a note and I'd slip it under the door and that's kind of how I got my hard emotions out because I couldn't Mm. articulate them it was too sad because I used to cry a lot I remember going to school and just putting my head down in my arms and crying and it was not easy to go to school and just be the sad kid because you know, no, but what are these other kids? They don't know how to deal with, with me like that. Um, yeah, they so have their own hard. kid logic that they're yeah. looking at you with. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I started writing poetry. Um, and I don't know where it came from. I don't know if I had poetry books in the house. I kind of doubt it because I just don't think my grandmother was never into poetry, but I just started writing poetry. And it was, I wish I had it. My house burned down years ago. And so all my old stuff that I had from being a kid burnt with it. But um, yeah, the first one I ever wrote was about my cat pooing on the dining room table. (laughs) And um, so, yeah, it was like, and I actually, before the house burnt down, I remember rereading it and it was pretty darn good. Like it was like a Shakespearean sonnet. It rhymed. I was like eight (laughs) 
Wow. <laughs> it was that's called amazing. I Like Cats and How My Cat Pooped on the Table. I don't know. That stuck out for me. Great. <laughs> 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 but from there, yeah, like I just, I loved poetry. And then, you know, that as, as I got older, I started reading a lot. My grandma used to read to me too, lots of fantasy, like I said. And um, then, you know, when I got to be 12 and older, I started um, reading a lot of poetry and writing poetry. That's really how I got all my heavy stuff out. I still do. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, I didn't start writing stories until um, after I gave birth to my last child. Cause I kind of, I don't know. It never occurred to me that I could actually do this. You know, mm -hmm. it was like the one thing I could do, but I always kind of put it aside for other to do other things like have kids and get married. And, and then I kind of took that back after my kid having was done and yeah. reclaimed it. Yeah. So turns out parenting yeah. takes up a lot of time and yeah. space, <laughs> space in your brain. Hear, in your heart. So. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. <laughs> Did you also have well, I'm saying also because I had this, did you have a fear of like coming from a poetry background? Did you have a feeling of like, but I can't write, I can write a poem or a story, but I can't write something as big as a novel. Yes. And actually mm -hmm. the first book shaped thing I ever wrote was a poem that just kept going. And I was like, it just didn't want to end. And I just was like, I'm just going to see where this is going. And I just wrote a book and that was, I <laughs> had cool. no idea what I was doing. I just kind of wrote it for me. And I knew as I was writing it, like, this is kind of just for me just to see if I could actually do it. Yeah. So I did it and I was like, well, maybe I could do it again. <laughs> and huh. that's kind of how that started. Yeah. I love that that's you awesome. tricked yourself. <laughs> like this is yeah. just yeah. a poem, la la la. <laughs> I don't write novels, yeah. just yeah. 30,000 word poems. poems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, totally. I did that too. I tricked myself because I was like, I'll just write a novel in verse. So it's just poems, yeah. but it will accumulate <laughs> into like a whole right. story. Yeah, it is. You have to use all these little tricks on your brain. <laughs> but you have to, because yep. it's yeah. when yeah. something is like, that's intimidating, like. It's you super know, I've never been to school. I like for, for writing, I, can I do this? I don't know, hmm. but yeah, it's, and it is just a commitment. I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah, but it was also fun. Like I hmm. really found the fun in it too, that first time. And I think when you let yourself have no rules, it is really fun. Like if you try it's to so limit fun. yourself, it's, it's hard, but yeah. Yeah. Which is really hard, especially if you're trying to take it seriously. Like if you, if you really care about it and you're like, I really do want to succeed with this writing thing, or I really want to write a book that other people want to read, or that's going to get me published. And yet you have to, at the same time, let go of all expectation yeah. and just have fun. It's one of those horrid <laughs> Yeah, paradigms or paradoxes that you have to hold in your head, two conflicting mm -hmm. ideas at the same time. And that's the other thing, like you, when you, you have to write for you. And that's the other thing that I stopped doing with this fifth book or with the land of yesterday was mm -hmm. um, writing for me. Like this is for me. I know it's super weird and it's super dark and I don't know if anyone will ever like it, but like I'm writing this book. I'm writing it for me. I'm writing it for other kids like me who are weird. 
and strange and dark too. Mm -hmm. And I know they're out there because I was one of them. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to, that was the first time that I stopped worrying about getting into a contest or getting looked at by an editor or an agent or anything. Cause I didn't have an agent. I just was writing this book for me. And I think that is what made the difference too, because I let myself, I gave myself permission to be weird, just be your own weird self. And, you know, cause I know there's so many other kids out there that feel the same way. Yeah. And I yeah. kind of wrote it for us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, it's always the weirdest stuff that you think no one will ever want to read this. It's always yeah. the most compelling, compelling yep. thing that you make because <laughs> right. it's different from everyone else's book because it's the book only you could write. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. important to be yourself. And I've tweeted about that too. Like, you know, don't, don't write for, and I, this has been said by many writers, but just write mm-hmm. for yourself. And I think that the weird books will find their readers too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's really, that's another thing that I have to tell myself, like, how do you keep drafting or going on is that this book is going to, even if one person reads this book who really needs it. Yeah. um, Like this morning, I put out a tweet or something about, like I was in my, sorry, I'm going to segue here. I was in the car with my friend yesterday and I was, she was listening. She put on some music and like, this song, this like old 80s song, Never Surrender by Corey Hart came on. And I was like, I love this song. And you know, this song literally saved my life. Like this song saved my life when I was a kid going through all this stuff and it um, completely saved me. And then I went to look at the comments on YouTube to write that. And there was a whole bunch more comments just like that. And like, Mm -hmm. how weird is it that you write a book or you make a song or you make a movie that literally can save someone's life I think it's I mean this is just such um you know you worry about oh you know who's who's gonna like my book or bad reviews or getting stars or trade reviews stuff and everything but like something doesn't have to be big and sensational to change lives or the world even you know yeah I just think that's really amazing you can change one person's world yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why I wrote this, that book in the first place. Yeah. You know, you yeah. kind of have to let yourself forget all that other stuff that doesn't really matter because usually I think with most people, that's not why we do what we do. Yeah. It's such a personal thing, like the way that you write and why you write your books. Yeah. It's so yeah. tangled up with who you are and how you see the world. And it is. Yeah. And that's what makes it special because there's a book or, you know, for everybody. Yeah. And there's, and there's a reader for every book too. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about revisions. Cause I want to know you, um, you did mention before that you did two R&Rs for your agent, which is mm-hmm. amazing. Um, it takes so much mental strength to do R&Rs because it's like amazing that you get notes and it's super exciting and everything, but you also don't really have, well, I don't know how, what your situation was like, but usually with an R&R, you don't have uh, any like promise that it's going to work out yeah. or that they're actually going to want to offer you representation. So um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, about like what those revisions were like on an emotional level, like actually doing them, but then also what kind of revisions did your agent want you to do? What were you kind of working on mostly? Um, well, it was especially scary for me, I think, because I was just, like I said before, right before 
I drafted this book, I was coming off the heels of um, one R&R, but also another one for that same book before that one. So, and they were both finally, like after I did all the months of changes, like they were both rejected anyway. So I was Mm -hmm. like, oh no, okay, this is super scary, but um, you know, I'm just going to do it. And what have I got to lose? So um, the first one was, I think a lot of cutting because uh, like I said, I had a lot more in the middle, like a lot of stops along the way, a lot of different mm. people and creatures she met along the way. So I, it was a lot of trimming because um, I think it was, like I said, almost 80,000 words. And so I had, I trimmed it to about 62 or so. So it was a lot of cutting and a lot of um, reworking with the way what happens with her parents. I don't want to say too much, but um, a lot of like some family dynamic things changes, Um, some emotional changes with Wooden Dream, my sweet haunted house. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, it was mostly some character stuff and a lot of cutting for the first R&R, which she ended up loving which was great I was like okay one hurdle and then she's like but I just want to do a couple more things and so I was like (laughs) okay but they were smaller things so um I think it was mostly just things with her mom some emotional scenes with her mom changes like not very big things pretty minor Mm. things and and then she ended up loving it and offering so that was Mm. really great um obviously it's very scary because you're putting a lot of work and a lot of hope into one basket. And yeah, you know, it's like you're putting a heart in the basket and you're handing it to someone and they could just be like, eh, no, thanks. Like, I don't, and then, and then, okay. So after that you make these changes and then do you submit it again to other agents and then they will also want changes. And then how many times, there's a lot of questions in there. How many times do you want to change your book? Is this the direction you want to go with your book? Are you just doing it to get an agent or are you doing it? Because like, I think it's important to still believe in the changes you're making too. Like, yeah. um, Another piece of advice is if, if it feels wrong, like you don't need to do it either. You can say no and someone will come along who does believe in what you're doing. And, um, but I did, I totally, my, I was like, wow, you're a genius because this is like, why didn't I think of this? Right. To my agent. So yeah, the changes, I totally believed in them and they were exactly right. And, um, but yeah, so when she offered like literally my, my kids were like screaming and da- everyone was dancing in the living room. It was just crazy. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. Like, because, and it was really cool to see, like I was crying because I've been, I tried so hard and your kids watch you going after this dream. And yeah, I think all the struggles and all, and they always believed in me, but sometimes we forget to believe in ourselves and then they saw it actually happened. And I thought that was important too. like a good yes. lesson. Like, do not give yes. up on your dreams. Like if you believe in them, you keep going and don't ever stop. Yeah. So Yeah. And, yeah. Mom- and sometimes it takes a long time. Yeah. Sorry, Lindsay. Yeah. You gonna oh say? no, I was going to say, and just, and mom's a person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mom is a person yes. with dreams other than just to be your mother. So like, right. 
Yes, completely. Because, and that gets forgotten sometimes too in parenting, you know? Yeah. Parents tend to put themselves last a lot of the time and it's good to see for them to see. Yeah. But you can be a parent (laughs) and still be a person. Yeah. Like a human person. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) Yeah. So was this your first time doing a big revision? No. Um, Okay. I just wondered like what your revision process was like, like, do you like in general, what do you have like a revision process that you go through? Um, panic and fear (laughs) first. (laughs) And then like, as soon as I get the email with like all these notes, it's like, Oh my God. Like, am I, I don't know. Like I have to process it. So I let it sit for like a day or two. I look Mm. at it and then I panic and I put it away. And then when I look at it in a couple of days, it's like, Oh, I can do this. Like, I don't know something about the initial shock of seeing maybe five or six pages of yep. <laughs> notes. Like, yeah. Oh my God, this is horrible. But then when I come back and like, let it sit in my brain for a minute, it's like my brain has been thinking about it for two days in the background. And then when I come back to, it, I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. Mm. So I do it one step. I I'm a very step-by-step person. So I'll um, just one step at a time, like, uh, but usually I go in order. So mm-hmm. from beginning to end, I won't jump around because my brain cannot deal with the chaos of jumping around. Cause then I'll have forgotten what I did. Did I do that in the beginning? Do I do that at the end? So if I, so I'll go through, um, yeah, just step-by-step. Step. Yeah. Start at the beginning and get to the end. And I kind of have to just, I keep a list I write everything down. I like highlight the most important things on my, you know, on my laptop so that I can keep coming back to it. I make, um, you know, little card notes and I'll write all the big changes down so I can also look at those because it's important for me to keep looking at the things I need to do so I don't forget Mm. because again, brain like, (laughs) um, but I also, I got, um, when we moved this last time, my daughter painted a wall in my, in the study with, um, chalkboard paint. So now I have this entire chalkboard wall that I, yeah, it's amazing. So you can write, see it all in big time. So I don't have to mess with the laptop and the cards. And yeah, that's something about seeing it all out there like that is easier. What about like standing up to write it? Like, does that feel different to you too? Like to, to. It does. It's, to, it to feels fun. <laughs> yes. It's fun. Um, I still do that. Like that's downstairs, but I still, when I go upstairs to write, I bring my cards with me and it's yeah. easy. It's still, it's still easy to flip through the cards, but everything has to be very organized so that I, cause I get really paranoid about forgetting something, <laughs> you know, and then like getting to the end of the revision, I'm like, Ooh, I'm done. And then going, Oh my God, I completely forgot to do whatever. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. a fever dream, paranoid nightmare that I don't want to deal with. So, sure. um, but yeah, it's, it, it's usually okay. I mean, I, with the land of yesterday, I think it takes practice too. Like with the land of yesterday, I had a lot more panic attacks with 
doing these mm-hmm. revisions because of the trickle down, you know, you change mm-hmm. one thing and then you got to go back and change everything. And I remember being on deadline for the first time and how scary that was like seeing the days tick down. I'm like, I've got two weeks left, but now I'm stuck on this chapter. I think I spent like a hundred years on one chapter. It just like, (laughs) I could never, like, it just wasn't getting right. It just wasn't right. It was never right. And then it finally somehow all worked out in time. And I think that's important to remember too. And um, also taking time if you need it, like asking Mm -hmm. For more time, which I had to do with my most recent book, obviously, like I had to ask for a lot of extra time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and again, I think every book is different, but uh, yeah, revisions, like they're kind of fun now. I kind of like to do them because they always change for the better. I think even if you get stuck on a chapter, it'll click at some point when it's supposed to. And then the whole rest will just come. At least that's the goal but that's been my experience anyway. Yeah. And how do you know, do you ever get stuck on, you you mentioned that you kind of streamlined the plot a lot and cut a lot of things out. Do you ever worry about like what to cut or what? Because I imagine if she's going on this journey that there was a lot of stuff in there that felt really essential and then you're cutting it out. So yeah, how do you know what to cut and what not to cut? Um, I don't know. I think, well, also if you're getting notes from your editor, like they'll tell you what to cut, Mm -hmm. but when you're that first cut, when your agent is like, there's too much in here and it's a very vague thing. I think you just have to go on your gut. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing is, um, trying, I'm, I'm a real perfectionist too. So it's hard when you're going going from start to finish in the book and I can get hung up very easily. Like I just said on one line or Mm. like, you know, I forget that I'm, I'm trying to cut and change the story and just get hung up on this line. Like I'll just stay there and it'll be too long. And I just, you have to kind of let that go and keep going. But I think Mm. when you look at the big picture and you think about the story in a way that what, what is the most important thing? What am I trying to say? What is the most, what's, what's the theme? What am I trying to say? And what might be, you know, cause essentially when you're cutting, there's just too much. And we're, you know, talking about kids reading the book, like what might be boring? What is just okay. too much or what's a redundant? What are you, what's saying something you've already said maybe yeah. in a different way, yeah. but I think it's about condensing what you're trying to say in the most meaningful, concise way and just getting rid of the rest. But it is sad sometimes cutting our darlings, but um, Mm. I also keep a file of all my cuts just in case, like it hasn't happened yet miraculously, but in case your editor or someone says, "Ah, I liked it that way better before you can just Mm. slip it back in, but that hasn't happened to me. And I think a lot, a lot of writing is intuitive too, at least for me. Um, So I kind of just have to go with the flow and sometimes wing it. And I think that is how I go through life too. (laughs) That's that's relatable. (laughs) Yeah. Let's just try, see what happens. (laughs) And then pretend it was your intent all along. Yes. Oh yeah. I totally (laughs) planned that. (laughs) 
So yeah. you, Chris, you did so many revisions for your mm-hmm. agent though. By the time you got to working with your editor and you'd sold the book and now you're getting an, your first edit letter, mm-hmm. were, were the edits quite like, were you doing big edits on this book still or was there it were, kind of there like- There were some big, yeah, there were some, yeah. sorry, okay, but yeah, there were some big edits in there um, that were- scarier her major notes like to to put it into you know a sentence is I want to get to the heart of the story like I really Mm -hmm. want to try to get us to the heart of the story I think I was still over I think it was at like 65,000 words and she wanted me down to like 42 or something like that yeah wow so there was a lot more cutting a lot more condensing and really getting to the heart of the story which was her all her notes were perfect so Mm -hmm. Um, scary but fun. Yeah, because it's, it's such so an great amazing to see, feeling. Yeah, to see your your story really culminate to what it's supposed to be like, and that that was mm. exactly it, like getting to the heart of the book. Yeah, mm-hmm. and to have someone who really understands the heart of the book yes. and wants the yes. book to be what it's meant to be That's is so such important. An feeling. Yeah. I saw on your website that you mentioned in your uh, frequent last questions that you have synesthesia. And I wanted to yeah. ask you about that because I know we've spoken before about how sometimes you won't like a book. So you'll, tr- you'll read a book or someone mm-hmm. will recommend a book to you and you'll be like, I can't read this because of the colors in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so interesting. And so I wanted to ask you about like, how does your synesthesia play into drafting and revising a book? I think it just, it, it brings me closer to the story and the word choices because I don't know, I, I hear the words too and I can hear the beat of the story mm. as I'm writing it. And if it doesn't fit the beat or the color or the tone, it has to go. And I think that's a lot of my hang up too. Like that's why I get hung up on certain words because it's almost like, I can't keep going because this doesn't fit with the rest of the color or beat or tone. Mm. And until I fix that one picky little thing, it's not going to flow. So I just have to sit there until it comes to me and then I can keep going. Mm. But like, yeah, I don't know. Books are colors to me. And if I'm, if I'm not feeling the sound or the music or the color of the book, I have to put it down. Sometimes mm. I've thrown a book one time because <laughs> it was it like, that was, I threw a book one time and it was, I just couldn't deal with what it was giving me. <laughs> but yeah, mostly I, um, I put them aside until the time comes in my life where it suits the way I am now, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, But yeah, like some books are completely gray. And if I'm in a gray mood, then that's the perfect book for me. But if I'm in a like rainbow mood, there's just no way I can read this book right now. I don't know. It's it's hard to talk about because I don't know if people are even understanding what I'm saying. Um, That does make sense because you're not, I'm just making sure I'm getting this right. Like you're not necessarily saying, a gray book is a book that's dreary or moody. Oh no, or whatever. Not at all. You're talking about a a completely different 
sensory experience yes. that has nothing to do with the book's topics or you're not no. saying content. like or content or cover or anything like that. No. It's beyond that yeah. because we all have those associations about, you know, joyful right. books are rainbows and Stephen King is like slasher red. And you're yes. talking about a, a different sensory experience um, that's neurological in, in nature Exactly. Mm. That, and, and so it, that's, it, yeah. it has no correlation to anything. It's not, doesn't mean it's gray in a, in a gray or gray cover way, or gray, it's just a gray book. Like, yeah. mm. like some, like numbers will have colors and smells. It's just, it doesn't have to do with anything. It's just the way that I yeah. process what I'm feeling or seeing. It's like your own I, private I, color language. Yeah. <laughs> Add another language that you are fluent yeah, in. Right. <laughs> but yeah, like um, like Lainey Taylor, for example, her books are like complete rainbows to me. Yeah. Like it's all just color rainbows. And that's yeah. like why I love her so much because it's just so, I don't know. Yeah. Bright and so colorful. beautiful. But I, I don't really, when I'm drafting, I don't, it's, none of that comes into play it's usually when in an editing state oh interesting oh wow well I I think it's a pantsing thing too like some people write from an outline and they know exactly what they're gonna say but I kind of write with the whispers like I write it's like automatic writing almost I'm just writing Mm -hmm. I don't know where it's coming from I'm just I'm writing it down um so I'm not, I'm just like, it feels like a vessel, like a, a wind blowing through, like a word wind blowing through and out. <laughs> and then I don't really see it for what it is until I go back and start revising it. Yeah. That's wow. so interesting. I, I love, love that. Yeah. It's Your so brain is beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> thing. <laughs> Thank you. It is. And I love hearing how your brain specifically shapes your process and vice versa. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Mm. Good. Thank you. Okay. So should we talk about how this book became a book? Like how, so you said you did two R&Rs for your agent and then you obviously went out on sub. What was submission like? That, and that was crazy too. Like um, I spent so long like I started writing it in 2015 and it was published in, I didn't, I got my agent in 2016. Um, and then it was published in 2018, but yeah, submission was scary. You never know what you're going to get. Like, is it going to sit there for two years? Is, you know, is anyone even going to like it? Even at like, will it, you know, you never know. Um, but after, you know, five years of trying to get a book published, it sold in two weeks. And I was like, Aww. what is happening? What? It was crazy. Two weeks? I know. Amazing. It was really amazing because I expected after this long haul and journey for it to just be languishing out there a while. Um, but yeah, it's, I was very lucky. It landed in the hands of somebody who was looking for like a Tim Burton type book so yeah it's just really all about the right match too like there's you don't know what the timeline is going to be because it might take two years to find the right match or you know 
So yeah, you, you said that you expected it to be like a long submission process. Was that just because you had experienced that for yep. so long? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'd been trying for so long. I, I don't know. It just, it just felt like I'd been trying to get an agent for so long. And then I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, and doing two R&Rs for the same agent is like, that's intense. That is. Yeah, it is. And like, I never even heard of that before. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I've never I'm heard of gonna, that before either. <laughs> I'm just going to roll with it. Cause you know, this is, yeah. Um, so you're right. And after all, but I think that probably helped too, that we did go through all those revisions mm. first. Cause you know, you want to get it in the best shape possible. And I don't know. She's a very, um, she likes things to be in the best shape possible before sending them out. And I think that helped too, because yeah. what you don't do, um, you know, you probably have to do later with an editor anyway. But yeah, I was very lucky. I was very happy. Well, that's awesome. I'm so glad you had such a like magic submission uh, yeah. experience. That yeah, must have been weird. shocking then. Like <laughs> it, it must have just. It I've... was completely shocking. I had no idea what was going on. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I think I asked I asked in our um in our pitch wars or or whatever our writing group I was like what does it mean when you go when they want to go to acquisitions and everyone was like that's good yeah <laughs> but I didn't know like I had no idea what that meant at the end of every episode we love to ask our guests about a piece of oft given writing advice often uh writing advice that gets passed around in sort of how to write a novel articles and maybe like higher institutions of learning about how to be a writer. And um, we're not saying this advice is bad and we're not saying this advice is good. We just want to hear from actual writers who are writing and who are doing this um, and hear just kind of what they, what their experience with this advice is, if they have utilized it or if they think that aspiring writers can go ahead and not worry about it. So Chris, I wanted to ask you about the, so the piece of writing advice that I wanted to ask you about is the idea. It's actually, it's not really writing advice, but it's this idea that goes around, which is the idea that you have to publish a book by the time you're 30. Otherwise you're over the hill and you'll never actually be able to do it. Okay. Well, first of all, I think that's total BS (laughs) because, um, Yeah, I I don't know how, first of all, I barely knew what I was doing as a human person before I was 30. Like (laughs) I had, (laughs) I don't know, I've gained so much experience because I'm in my forties now. And like, I've learned so much more about life in the past few years than I have in my entire life before. Um, And I absolutely do not think that you should limit yourself with age. I know it's, you know, it's an old saying, but age really does not matter. Um, And there's a lot of wisdom to be gained by people who uh, are older and just starting out. Um, Yeah, I, I don't think that a dream has a time limit. I think you can dream at any age. I know there was a list somewhere put out uh, have you guys seen it about the the ages of when all these famous authors wrote their first books? And there were like, you know, lots in there. Uh, one of them was, 
I don't know. I don't remember who they were, but <laughs> they were all in like 30s and after and all the way up to, you know, 80s. And I don't feel that that has any bearing on what anyone has to say. I think you can write a kid's book when you're 80. And I think you could write um, anything, anytime, because dreams, mm -hmm. you know, <sighs> I've gained so much experience in my later years that how could you, I could never have written the books that I wrote when I was younger because I simply had no experience to write them from, mm. if that makes sense. Like every book I think comes at the right time, whether you're in your teens or twenties or thirties or forties or fifties or whenever. Uh, and I, I don't know. I do not believe in limits like that. I, how could anyone dare to say that you shouldn't write a book when, I mean, that makes me upset. <laughs> you know, like I'm a huge dreamer. If you have a book that comes to you when you're 50 or 60 or 70, who, why shouldn't you write it? And yeah, I, yeah, I don't believe in that at all. I mean, I had, you know, I, I had all these kids. There was absolutely no time that I could have written. And that's when my mm. youngest first went to school is when I was like, okay, I have a part-time job and I can write now. Like yeah. now I can yeah. do this. I mean, I maybe yeah. could have done it before, but it didn't, it literally didn't even occur to me. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I kind of feel like, and again, I was trying with, you know, I'd written, I've written all these other books that went nowhere, which was all like mm. putting kind of, I kind of put myself through school, like I learning just how to write a book with all those books that came before. Yeah. And yeah. the land of yesterday came to me at just the right time. I was, you know, way past 30. <laughs> so I am, I don't know. I think that we can find success at any age. And if it makes you happy to do it, even if nothing ever happens with it, I mean, I think you should still do it, you know? Yeah. I think people who write for children have basically never really forgotten what it feels like to be 10 or 11 exactly. or 16. You just, at that part of you is really alive in you and lives mm -hmm. alongside the you that is 33 or 29 or 53 or whatever it is. So it doesn't actually matter how old you are because you, you know, that part of you, you, you experience it and it's close to you. You haven't forgotten it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. actually, that's another thing I had, I thought of saying earlier too, was that with the land of yesterday, I always felt like a part of me kind of stayed inside me. That little girl who lost her mom kind of never aged. She stayed inside me. And probably mm. now the person who I was six months ago when my husband died is going to stay just like that. And there's a book in there I'm going to write mm. at some point <laughs> when I'm ready. Yeah. But um, I feel like we're all those people we were still. And we can, if we can find a way to tap into all those people we used to be, because we change, mm -hmm. you know, every day. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what writing is, right? Writing people and emotions and it's all right there. It's all inside of us. Yeah. yeah. Don't need to be any age to write that. It's true. Yeah. And it just makes sense to me that you would only get better and better as you get older because you're gathering experiences, your craft is getting better, you've literally written more words, you're, you know, you're learning yes. more about story and you also know more about life and you're 
I don't know, just more able to be more gentle with yourself, able to let things flow. Exactly. Before, you know, because I think about me in my early 20s and how I was like trying to grip onto everything, (laughs) make everything work the way I wanted it to work. And exactly. I find that the older I get, the I feel like it's two things. Like I can see time running out, especially after what just happened to my husband. Like I, now I see things in a very real sort of way. Like I have all these things to do and I don't know how much time I have to do them. So Mm. I am going to try my best to both relax and just not let things worry me. Like I used to worry about, which was everything and always, (laughs) Mm. um, and just, and also try to do as much as um, write as many things as I want, dream the big dreams, write the big books that I've been scared to write right now. And just, you know, who, who knows what will happen, but that I want to make sure that I've tried. Well, that is all well, incredible wisdom. It is. It's, and it's been so, so wonderful chatting to you, Chris, about the land of yesterday, but in general, just about you and about your writing process and the way you think about creativity. I found it so inspiring. I'm like literally buzzing. I feel like I need to go write something now because it's just been oh. so energizing <laughs> to talk to you. Um, thank you so much for thank this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Thank you so much for listening to story of the book if you like this episode please share it with a friend or give us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts until next time stay safe and keep writing bye, bye. <laughs>